2018-19 season may have ended only last week, but we are already reconvening the pod for two important pieces of news that have broken over the previous seven days. The first is that, with some not insignificant help from La Rochelle, Sailor qualified as the final participant for the 2019-20 Champions Cup. The Sharks will return to the biggest club competition in Europe after missing out on qualification for the past two seasons. And the second news is that joining Sailor in the Champions Cup next season will be fullback Simon Hammersley, who has joined the Sharks on a three-year deal from Newcastle Falcons after invoking a relegation clause in his contract. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank, and joining me to discuss those pieces of news and more are my co-hosts Alex and James. Alex, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks mate. It's good to be back so soon. How are you? Very well. Yeah, it's, it's exciting that again we have something important to discuss immediately after the season and, and obviously we now have some clarity on Champions Cup. Yeah, I know. I'm already planning the European away trips. Can't <laughs> wait. And James, how are you? I'm alright, thanks mate. I think at half-time in the top 14 games I was like, oh god, here we go again. Um <laughs> You know, it isn't a sale season, isn't it? Even even the French teams were getting on the act to make it stressful for us. But in the end, it was pretty comfortable. Um, so absolutely fab news that we've qualified for the top competition in Europe. Well, let's start with, with that news and, and obviously sales qualification to the Champions Cup. So obviously, as we've been discussing over the past couple of weeks, it's been dependent on La Rochelle finishing with, within the top six in France so that they've qualified by virtue of league position rather than as the Challenge Cup runners-up for that 20th place, which obviously is now filtered down to Sale. And so Sale have qualified as the seventh place team from the domestic league of this year's Champions Cup winners, which is Saracens, and La Rochelle, by virtue of finishing fifth, have finished by virtue of league position. So obviously it worked out ultimately pretty perfectly for Sale to, to have a back door into the tournament, I suppose, as it were. But But James... So let us know a little bit about the sort of roller coaster of emotions we were all feeling on on Saturday afternoon, anxiously checking BBC Sport for the top fourteen scores and results as they came in. Well, we we knew. I, I tweeted out what we what we needed was La Rochelle to win, and then we needed one of Castra, Racing, Metro, or Montpellier to lose. But even within that, there was various different sort of machinations because you know in France to get a bonus try bonus point you need to have the at least three tries ahead which is very different from here where you get the four tries and that's it I actually prefer the French way in some ways because it means that both teams have to keep playing right to the end yeah um, whereas in England you could get four tries in the first half and then as you often find teams kind of switch off then um, and, and other teams can come back into it so when that started happening um, that was okay. Well, what else do we need? Because even if Montpellier win at Claremont, which people thought was unlikely before the start of the weekend uh, amongst our Twitter followers, I was slightly less optimistic seeing as Montpellier had won the last three games at Claremont um, and had more to play for. Claremont had already qualified for a home semi final um, and really didn't have that much to, to play for. But as long as we got the, uh, the the try bonus, we being La Rochelle got the try bonus, then uh, then you know beating uh, that they would finish a point ahead of Montpellier essentially. Um, but what we didn't envisage was Toulon um, winning away at Castro. Uh, Toulon, nothing to play for um, really, apart from some of the players playing for another contract. 
So the fact that they won at Castro relatively comfortably in the end, I think that's something that's been missed a little bit on Twitter. That actually, you know, that that was the main thing. We're always going to finish above them. And La Rochelle absolutely won massively at home. The second half was extraordinary because it was still in the balance at half time. Um, certainly on in terms of a try bonus. Um, so obviously, you know, La Rochelle winning by so much was was great. But in the end, they could have won by a point, and we still would have got uh, Champions Cup rugby. Yeah, so the final standings from the regular season in the top 14 ultimately finished with La Rochelle in fifth on 71 points, Montpellier sixth on 70 points, and Cass in seventh and missing out on the Champions Cup next season with 69 points. And obviously, La Rochelle ran out 81 12 winners over Bordeaux. Uh, Cast lost at home to Toulon, 16 points to 25. And then obviously Montpellier, with one of the results of the weekend, uh, beating Claremont, 28 points to 27 away. But as you said, James, Montpellier not getting the bonus point, La Rochelle getting the bonus point, meant that even if Cast uh, had lost, La Rochelle would have sneaked into the top six and sailed into the Champions Cup. But with that now confirmed, Alex, how important do you think Champions Cup qualification is? is for sale for next season, both on-field and off-field? I think it's massively important off-field. Um, I think, you know, we've got a squad that is capable of competing in the Champions Cup now. And, you know, we, I said last week it wouldn't be the end of the world if we didn't get in the Champions Cup um, because it would probably allow us to have a go at the Premiership. But at the same time, um, as we sort of surmised when we were talking about squad makeup, we do have to pretty much... Premiership standard first 15s we can put out now or a, a, approaching that at least um, so for us to be able to compete against you know massive teams and by nature of qualifying in the the, the lowest position we'll end up in a bit of a group of death again um, but I don't think that's any bad thing because we're going to welcome some massive teams to the AJ Bell which will be really good for attendances great days out um, and we'll have some great away days and you know the worst that can happen is that we go out of the Champions Cup at the group stage and focus on the Premiership running. Um, and the best that can happen is we pull off a bit of a shock and get get to the latter stages. Um, I just think the squad that we've got deserves Champions Cup rugby and I really want to see how they go in, in the arena. Um, whether it will be an absolute hammering six games and then you know we go home with our tails between our legs uh, remains to be seen. But... You know, off the field, I think commercially, you know, the, the rugby side is obviously um, massively important for the players we've got. But off the field, in terms of attracting new players, attracting fans, um, getting people into the AJ Bell, I think it's a massive result for us. And I think probably deserved. You know, we say we were getting in by the back door and relying on teams to do things. But, you know, La Rochelle won by 81 points to 12. So it's one of those where if that game had come, you know, if that game was second to last rather than last game of the season, then this probably would have been would have been assured um, last weekend. You know, so I think yeah, massively, massively important. It, as I say, I stand by the fact it wouldn't have been the end of the world, but it means it's a really exciting season going into next season, and hopefully we attract a few more fans from it, and then you know going forward we attract more players who want to come and play Champions Cup rugby. James, where do you see the biggest boost for the club from being in the Champions Cup next season? Do you, do you agree with Alex that it's either an attendance or, or a player recruitment drive, or do you think it's something else? Well, player recruitment drive, I'm not 100% sure about that because we're going to have the cap maxed. So we might be attracting them, but they ain't going to fit in the squad. <laughs> uh, I think we have to be uh, aware of that now. Um, no, 
commercially, this is absolutely essential. Um, and that you know, I agree that being on two fronts is going to make the Premiership more difficult. But look, I think that that is the challenge for the um, coaching staff to make sure that we're rotating our players cleverly throughout the whole season and that we're competitive in both competitions, but prioritising the Premiership next year. Um, so it's their, that's their problem. Um, in terms of the off-the-field stuff, absolutely essential because we need about an average of about eight, eight and a half thousand per game to make it sort of commercially reasonable probably now for sale. Bearing in mind that we were losing money before these huge signings, you can only imagine what our financials are going to be um, moving forwards. And we have to be really aware of this and not take it for granted at sale. You know, if our owners walked away, that might be the end of professional rugby in the Northwest. So we've really got to make this commercially viable. To do that, then you can't have Challenge Cup rugby where you're hosting some team from Romania or whatever with two and a half thousand in the crowd. You need to have Champions Cup rugby with eight and a half thousand, whoever you're playing, in the crowd, and then the bumper crowds of ten and a half, eleven for the big games against the Leicesters. Um, you know, and, and the people who bring a lot of travelling support with them. That is the key. We've now achieved that, and that can help fund the squad that we've already got. So this is the new reality, and Dimes and the rest of the coaching staff now have to manage this squad across two competitions because that's what they've decided. We, we could have decided not to get Ludiago and De Klerk and all these people and, you know, overachieved um, being sort of lower to mid-table um, and fighting relegation all of the time, but being a reasonably viable club. I mean, we, uh, we weren't making money, but I think of the clubs that were losing money, we were probably losing the least. Mm. That's going to look very different next year. So, you know, uh, as fans, we've just got to really be aware of this situation um, and uh, we, we've got to get behind them. We've got to get we've got to get the support base up, and that's the way to do it. Big names, big games. It would be uh, that's a great tagline for sales marketing department next year as well. <laughs> um, I think it would be really interesting, and obviously it's not data that we have to see that financial boost that you get from playing the Champions Cup compared to the Challenge Cup. Because, like you said, James, it isn't just about the sort of a law of the, the sort of Premier Club competition in Europe. It's the added bonus of larger crowds coming to the games because like you said a lot more people will turn up for Leinster or Munster or Racing than they would for um, Timisoara or one of the Russian teams um, but it would, is interesting to see from a strictly financial point of view just how much Seller benefited by managing to qualify for this year's competition even uh, by the pap door obviously that's not necessarily information we're expecting to have anytime soon but it is interesting to think in line of uh, what's happening with all these big money signings that the, uh, the club's making um, what, a question to uh, either of you um, we'll sort of touch upon this obviously as we look ahead to next season in the season preview at the end of the summer but with Champions Cup secured and like you said Alex a little bit of a group of death likely to be coming uh, how how heavily do we favour or weigh the Champions Cup against Premiership success next season and, and in theory how quickly should we look, be looking to pull the plug as it were on Champions Cup um, competition if it's at any point threatening our uh, challenge uh, our premiership status given what we saw with Newcastle this season struggling to adequately compete on both fronts even though obviously the circumstances are quite different I think we've got the advantage like I say of having effectively two squads Newcastle struggled because um, they were using their premiership quality squad in the uh, in the Champions Cup but then also having to use them in the premiership and 
you know, we we've said Newcastle have always had a big squad, but maybe haven't got two, you know, proper starting fifteens of, of real strength, um, which I think we're close to having. Uh, we're certainly much closer than they were. So I I think we we go for it. I I think we've got enough quality players that we can threaten the big teams and turning them over could you know I I look back to that 2012-13 season when we had the horror start in the Premiership and what actually saved us was a win against Cardiff Blues in the Champions Cup and that kick started the rest of our season really so I think we personally uh, I think it would be remiss of us to get into the Champions Cup and go yes we've got to the Champions Cup here's a load of marketing about the Champions Cup and then just not go for it I think you've got to got to start strong and you know we might end up with a with a horror group but who are we going to end up with you know Saracens European champions we beat them at home this season um, you know there's only so much you can be threatened by and we've improved our squad from that Saracens game you know we've got Luke Dialga coming in we've, you've got uh, Kearney Eustazen coming in it's I, I don't see that we need to be scared of anyone and I think we should Look at the if we get a, a group where everyone goes, or oh, group of death, group of death, we should look at that and go, the best way to prove ourselves as a contender for the next five, ten years, which is what um, Simon Orange and Jed Mason won, is to go and beat people in that group. You know, because we've proved that we can beat the top premiership teams. We beat Saracens at home, we beat Gloucester away. What we haven't proved is that we can beat the top European teams because we haven't had the chance. So let's go and do it. Um, so personally, that would be my sort of my view. But I, you know, there's all sorts of things in the season. How do injuries go? Um, what's form like in the Premiership? That kind of thing. Um, so it may well be that we, we end up leaving off the Champions Cup a bit, which I think would be a shame. But I, I would be, I would be going for it. I think you know what Simon Orange and Chad Mason are trying to build sort of almost demands that we go for it and try and you know if if it gets to the last game or two games and we're out. Um, then fair enough. Let's let's pull back a bit and focus on the Premiership. But certainly the first three four games, um, we should be at, we should be putting a strong team out and trying to win the game. Well, I'm glad you mentioned a potential pool of death for sale in next season's Champions Cup competition because I've actually been doing a little bit of analysis into the teams and seedings that we could feasibly expect uh, the Sharks to face uh, in next season's uh, tournament. So I must caveat this by saying that. A lot of the seedings are still dependent on what happens with the top 14 playoffs because uh, the seedings are influenced not only by league position but performance in the knockout stages. But I think a good point of comparison to start with is Gloucester. So Gloucester qualified for the 2018-19 Champions Cup tournament by finishing as the runners-up in the 2017-18 Challenge Cup. And so they qualified in the 20th available place which is the same position Sale will hold this season. So Gloucester ultimately faced uh, Cast, who qualified as the winners of the top 14, Exeter, who were the runners-up in the Premiership, and Munster, who were the fourth-place team in the Pro 14 in their pool stage in this year's competition. So we can imagine a comparably strong group for Sale, depending on how everything works out. But what we do know, even whilst we wait for the results from the top 14, playoffs is who sale might not be uh, against so the way the rules work is that um, as sale are in the fourth tier of seedings they are still actually eligible to play uh, any uh, other teams from the premiership so in the first three tiers 
when the pools are drawn, teams from the same league can't play each other, which means, for example, Saracens wouldn't be able to play Gloucester. However, due to Selby in the fourth tier, uh, at that stage, um, they're eligible to be drawn in the same pool as anyone. So uh, they are eligible to play against Saracens, against Exeter, Gloucester and Northampton. What is interesting, though, is that we do know some of the teams that they won't be able to uh, compete against, which is uh, Ospreys, who qualified uh, in the 19th spot um, by virtue of their playoff win over Scarlet. So they'll definitely be in the fourth tier, as will be Bath, who have qualified uh, a sixth in the uh, Premiership. Then either Treviso or Connor as the sixth place team overall uh, from the Pro 4 team, uh, who both um, were knocked out in the quarterfinal stages. And then um, Mon- potentially Montpellier um, from the top 14, who finished sixth on league position. However, that is again still dependent on what happens with the playoffs. So overall, a very difficult group in uh, potentially for sale ahead of next season. There are obviously a lot of permutations with how um, teams are seeded, depending on um, the draws that take place to move teams um, up into the tiers. But the one certainty we do have is that by virtue of sales qualification as the 20th seed for next year's competition, they are almost guaranteed to face a pool of death, as it were. Now, with that being said, the other certainty that we have ahead of the Champions Cup next season is, of course, that we'll be joined by a new signing from Newcastle, which is Simon Hammersley. Uh, so the news broke on Tuesday this week uh, that Hammersley has invoked a relegation clause in his contract from Newcastle, and he will be joining uh, the, the Sharks on a three-year deal, which will take him up to the end of the 2021-2022 season. So I've got a little bit of a fat file, and we'll go through him uh, in a little bit more detail later on, but I wanted to get uh, your thought, thoughts first, Alex, on your sort of immediate reaction um, to Hammersley and what he can uh, bring to the Sharks next season well my immediate reaction is that um, how, I don't know how many weeks ago it was three or four weeks ago we said what we really need is a good premiership standard um, maybe English qualified fullback you know no, no one to uh, sort of world world beating expensive but just a really solid fullback um, and we were sort of thinking about it at the time when we were Newcastle weren't confirmed going down but what we've done is got exactly what I asked for, so um, I couldn't really be happier. Um, you know, we I've said all season we've got a massive gap in the squad at fullback, and we've we've filled it, and you know, somewhat fortuitously, I think, with the relegation clause, and it's quite a sad um, thing, and you don't want to be seen to be sort of poaching Newcastle. But if Hammersley wanted to leave, which he clearly did, um, and you know. A fullback comes on the market who, as we say, gets our EQP up, um, fills a hole in the squad, is a proven Premiership performer and a proven very good Premiership performer, we might add, which I'm sure we'll cover in um, in the fact file. Then I just think I can't see any sort of um, any downsides to the signing at all. You know, he's not he's not going to be taking up loads of room in the cap, um, but he's going to be a really valuable squad player. And I've heard great things from Newcastle fans. They, they really like him and I think it's a massive shame that he has to leave Newcastle um, but if he is going to leave Newcastle which which clearly wants it to then where better to come than, than Sale Sharks so I just think it's a really really good signing and I think it probably rounds off what's been a really good recruitment um, drive over the last sort of four to five months I think you know we've you know, identified gaps in the squad we've filled them with the players we need 
and this is just sort of another extension of that so for me massively massively positive signing and I think probably one of the most important that we'll make just because of the position it's in yeah, James, in terms of your instant reaction to the news that Hammersley will be joining, was there anything that you want to add on to, to, to what Alex has just suggested? Well, I just think it's a tremendous sign. As Alex said, we are lacking a specialist 15 in the squad. Chris Ashton has played a season and a bit there, and there'll still be games where he is suitable to be selected there, especially if we're doing an away trip in the Champions Cup to somewhere nice and warm in the south of France, please. Um, but... Simon Hammersley is the type of person, if he can stay fit, because he has had some injury worries, then he's basically, you know, one of you, he's one of those types of players that will become one of the first names on your team sheet. Be a bit like Ross Harrison has been for us for so long, because he's that specialist player. He's brilliant under the high ball. He's proven he, he can make meters, but also beat players as well. And he's strong and he's big, and he's just a brilliant, brilliant signing for sale. And what I really like about it is that he is coming on a three-year deal. So he's buying into his sale vision. He's coming in. He wants to play for us. I think if he'd been coming in on a year-long loan, I'd have been really sceptical about that because it's clearly just a place to come for a year and then go back. So I think it's a tremendous signing for us. And I think he'll be first-choice 15 if he stays fit, whether it's Champions Cup or whether it's Premiership. Yeah, I know after the news broke that I suggested on Twitter that pound for pound, he might genuinely be one of the best signings sell have made for this entire season ahead of 2019-20. And I think I have to sort of echo those points about Hammersley coming in as a specialist fullback, uh, as someone who has premiership experience, who is joining on a, uh, a medium-term deal. So it's uh, evidence that he's sort of bought into the um, what the club is sort of uh, put in front of him. Um, beyond just uh, another place um, to sort of play Premiership rugby after Newcastle have gone down, and I think one of the things which makes Hammersley such a valuable signing is something that you mentioned uh, a few months ago, James, with the Jake Cooper Woolley sign, and you said one of the rarest things you can get uh, in terms of a, a transfer acquisition is these players who are young or in their prime. English qualified, but all, but that level below international competition where they're not necessarily available um, for half the season. And Hammersley has obviously opted to make the move to sale to stay in the Premiership to obviously pursue England ambitions. And we must remember that he was named in that Saxon Stodd South Africa in, in 2016. So he is someone who has been on the radar or the periphery for a couple of seasons. But he is obviously yet to make that leap into the Tier 1 sort of international sphere and that means as it stands Hammersley could very easily rack up 30 appearances for us this season as a specialist fullback as someone who um, can play the same position week in week out and give us a bit of um, consistency at that position which we struggled for this year with with Ashton being banned or, or not available uh, we've had Luke James there we've had Sam James there it's been a bit of a carousel and I think getting a specialist fullback not someone who's a centre first and foremost who can play fullback but a specialist fullback uh, with premiership experience with the prime of his career uh, coming uh, coming up immediately is an absolutely fantastic signing for sale I think he it will go down uh, come the end of the 2019-20 season as being one of those pickups that potentially push yourself from being uh, a middle six team into a top four team yeah, absolutely. He's exactly in that category. I think he's coming to sale to go, right, I've got three years before, uh, as part of the next World Cup cycle to see if I can make it at the very, very highest level. 
and get picked for internationals because he's 26 so he'll definitely still be in his prime come the 2023 World Cup and he's seeing you know, players like Tom Curry etc as players to be playing with because you're going to get the England coach coming to watch um, which is not something that we're used to at Sale so I think it's really really exciting I'm really really looking forward to it you know a lot of us will say oh what's our first choice 15 we'll talk about this sort of thing in the season preview probably what's our first choice who gives a shit what you know but I think he is probably going to be first choice <laughs> you know, to go back on what my normal boy is because he has that got that specialism. As I said, there will be times where maybe Ashton is the better selection. But I think Hamsley is pretty much going to be solid. And therefore, you're looking at Ashton, Yard, McGuigan and Solomona fighting over the other places. At the beginning of the year, McGuigan's probably with Scotland and Ashton with England at the World Cup. And then they might need a little bit of a rest afterwards. But they're unlikely to be first choice for those countries and therefore might come back, you know, really wanting to get stuck in. In any case, we're really blessed. If we start the season with a back three of Solomon, Yard and Hammersley in the Premiership when other people are missing their first choice um, players, we're in pretty good nick. I've, uh, I've got a couple of stats from, from Hammersley's 2018-19 season as well that I wanted to sort of showcase because the sort of the, the sort of current buzz around Hammersley is that this was the season where he's really started to kick on and really make it an impact as a, as a premiership fullback. Now, obviously, he made his debut for the Falcons in 2014. He's been a consistent uh, fixture within that Falcons team uh, ever since. He did miss most of the 2016-17 season with an ACL injury, which actually present, prevented him from going away with the Saxons to South Africa. But it is only in the sort of last... 18 months or so that it, it, the, the buzz around Hammersley appears to be this, this potential England bolter uh, and so some of his stats from 2018-19 so he's 236 he had 236 carries which is 7th in the league and the headline stat that a lot of people have been keen to make is uh, 1,490 metres made which is 2nd in the entire premiership that's a fantastic stat I think it is always important to carry out that he's a full back and you do get a lot of uh, unopposed metres that you can make that's just a natural uh, function of the position. Mike Haley was it was someone else who would routinely come in the top uh, few positions for meters made, but again with the benefit of being a fullback. But then there's a couple of other ones that I think are really interesting. He's uh, fifth in the league in defenders beaten with 68, which speaks to what James was saying about his ability to beat a man. And he is a very evasive runner, which we've seen um, as as a particular highlight in what has been obviously a difficult season for Newcastle. And then there's the, the final stat, which is 24 clean breaks, which is actually 13th out of uh, all players in the Premiership. But as far as I can tell, looking through the stats from Opta, he's the only, he's the highest ranked dedicated slash specialist fullback in that figure. Because you have a lot of uh, very talented players um, above him in that ranking. However... Um, a, a significant number of them are wingers there's a couple of forwards and it's actually only um, someone like Jason Woodward or Takiya Nairavaro or these other players who have the ability to play along the back three that have affected more clean breaks than Hammersley so what I think is really interesting is that we're seeing that from a position from a positional standpoint he's one of the only players who's playing the same position every week at fullback, but he is also consistently uh, managing to make uh, an impact in stats that typically favour um, positions that receive a little bit more of the ball uh, and are able um, to sort of join the line a, a lot more readily than than fullback. So just 
couple of stats that I thought were worth highlighting. And I think it's, uh, I'm sure you'll agree, James, in that I think it's very clear what his strengths are in terms of being very strong under the high ball. He's got good good acceleration. He's very evasive. I want to sort of summarise this by saying, do you... I, I personally believe that Hammersley is sort of a tailor-made replacement to what Mike Haley brought to this, to Sale in the seasons that he was here in the same sort of evasive, almost lazy type of runner from fullback um, and his ability to join the line. Now, I think his distribution might be you know, a shade under Mike Haley, as you remember, played as sort of a second uh, ball carrier, a uh, ball distributor at certain points when he was at Sale. But in terms of what we can expect from a Sale perspective, do you sort of envision him fitting in the Sale lineup akin to someone like Mike Haley did uh, for the seasons that he was at Sale? You're right, he does play a little bit further out than Haley did for us, who actually used his footwork in tight spaces, um, and that's how he scored a few of his tries. Hammersley likes to join the line a little bit more in a traditional manner. Where he's different from Haley is on the risk-taking, he's much lower down the scale. So Haley's your type of person who's going to try and you know uh, chip it over your own posts, regather and then score a, a length uh, try. I just think um, Haley had good foot better footwork than Hammersley. Hammersley's more of your kind of um, picking a line. He's, he's stronger in the tackle. He's more difficult to break down. That's how he usually breaks through tackles. Haley very rarely broke through tackles. You know he would usually have to evade contact altogether. So they are, I think, quite different players. But I think where where they are similar and what they'll bring to the sales side is that consistency at, at, at playing there. And you know who's back there. I mean, Sale have had so many different players who have played at 15 last year. When you're getting used to how that person likes to play, it's really, really important. You know, we've mentioned the impact that Haley and Addison um, had leaving. It's not necessarily their quality, although that's missed. It's the familiarisation playing with Sam James, for example, and McGinty. They've played with each other for some time. And I think that with Hamsley, if he stays fit, he's playing at 15 all the time, you know, the, the Sam James is going to know which shoulders he's going to be joining on. You know, I think that's really, really important um, moving moving into next season. And clearly, losing Haley, see, watching him have a really good season at Munster and be really consistent. You know, because Haley did make the odd error, didn't he? He used to, um, you know, he loved to knock on in his own twenty-two with the, under no pressure and things, and then equally score a match-winning try. Um, he's he's really got his consistency going at Munster, and I think that Hammersley will bring that. I, in some ways, he's going to be a better fit for this sales side than Haley was. Alex, is there anything else that you want to mention um, on Simon Hammersley? I think we've, as, before seeing him pull on a sales shirt, I think we've done as, <laughs> as much previewing as we can. Yeah, no, totally, I agree. I think, um, as James says, you know, he's not a risk taker, but I think Faf takes enough risks for the whole sales squad, so um, <laughs> let's have someone nice and solid in at 15, eh? Well, I think that, that kind of previews everything that we can uh, for Simon Hammersley prior to him pulling on a, a sales shirt next season. Um, but obviously before the calendar does turn to the 2019-20 season, uh, there is one last game left in the Premiership uh, season this year, which is of course the Premiership final next weekend between, stop me if you've heard this one before, Saracens uh, and Exeter. So obviously uh, over the weekend we saw uh, Saracens quite comprehensively dispatch Gloucester and we saw likewise from Exeter uh, doing the same to Northampton. Um, 
Alex, are there any sort of preeminent thoughts that you have on on Saracens and Exeter's continued run of dominance, which is uh, set to continue with uh, yet another Premiership final between the two uh, this this weekend? Yeah, let's break it. I'm bored of it. I'm fed <laughs> up. Of, I'm fed up of watching Saracens Exeter finals. Um, Wasps were probably their closest contenders and have completely fallen away this season. So I think it's perfect time for Sale to go in and shake things up a bit. Um, no, they're two absolutely brilliant teams and they completely deserve getting to the final. Uh, both play great rugby, both great clubs as well, what they've built. I think Saras- what Saracens have built is something we should be aspiring to. Exeter's slightly different to what we're trying to do, done it from a much sort of lower standpoint and built up um, a really solid following. But I think you've got to admire both um, for what they're doing they're both fully deserves finalists um, I think from the league's point of view we could do with a bit more competitiveness because you know you look at you look at a league where it's just one of those two winning every season um, and it's not going to be you know I, I imagine CBC are absolutely you know are, are not happy at all about that but from a you know from from Saracen's Exeter's point of view they can only you know beat what's put in front of them and at the moment um you know, they're, they're tearing teams apart and for your semi-finals to be that sort of one-sided um, speaks to, I think, their quality. So, it'll be a great final. Um, it won't be the most exciting final it could be, but um, it will be, I probably will keep saying that until Sale get there and win it. So, um, it just gives us, I think, when you've got those two teams with the quality they've got, it gives us something to aim for and, you know, a target to chase. And you've just got to keep, you've got to keep trying to get as close to that as you can. And, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it, but I really hope next year, or maybe the year after, or maybe the year after that, that Sale are there and causing some disruption to that sort of dominance. I think what is interesting this season is obviously with all the upheaval that we've seen a little bit further down the table and two uh, teams in Northampton and Gloucester coming back to the playoffs and going up against the, the sort of old guard now, uh, as it were, it is interesting to see how wide that gap between the top two in Saracens and Exeter are compared to the, the the best of the rest effectively in Gloucester and Northampton and I think not only <coughs> pardon me, not only the manner of the victory for Saracens and Exeter uh, but it's also uh, it's also the scoreline, it's the fact that both teams in Gloucester and Northampton were 25-30 points off the pace and ultimately not only were Saracens and Exeter able to quite com- comfortably dispatch the third and fourth best teams in the league, they were actually able to do it by quite a significant margin uh, and sort of just indicate once again just how big that gulf is between the top two teams in the league in Saracens and Exeter and then probably uh, places third to ninth um, in the rest of the league. But James... How do you envision um, Saturday's sort of marquee matchup between the two best teams in the league going? Well, it's a really interesting one. As you rightly say, they're miles ahead of everyone else, and it wasn't just in those games. The way that they've been able to manage their squads through the season um, and be without so many of their stars, I mean, basically their first-choice sides don't, don't aren't seen throughout the season. They finish comfortably in the top two. So I wasn't surprised by the semi-final results. Just a quick shout-out, though, to Gloucester and Northampton. I think they knew that they were going to be up against it this time, and mentally they weren't there to win. They had won already by coming in the top four, and it is outrageous achievements, really, knowing where Saints were last season. They're one of the favourites to go down this year. Boyd has done a tremendous job. I mean, outrageously good job. Um, Dan Bigger, I think, has transformed that Northampton side mentally. Uh, uh, beyond the normal it's not beyond his playing ability 
It's his mentality to win and to compete. He's dragged that Northampton side up to the top four. And then for Gloucester, Ackerman, he's in his second year. He's got them into the top. He qualified for the Champions Cup last year. He's got them uh, into the top four this year. And the signing of Cipriani has been the difference between kind of mid-table and top four. So between those four individuals, I think that's an outstanding achievement. In terms of this weekend, Exeter have been the best side this season. They've had less international call-ups and therefore had more consistency. They won the uh, league by quite a large distance in the end. Saracens have really had to scrape down to the you know the bare bones of their squad at times this season, and they're still there. But first choice against first choice side, I think Saracens are going to have it. It's just how badly do they want to win, having already won the Champions Cup this season. Uh, this season. But I just think that when your top choice sides are out, Saracens are slightly stronger. They are without Mako. Vunapola, aren't they? Uh, and they're also without someone else. Who, who else are they without that's been injured? Oh, they're without their, their other prop, uh, the American lad. Uh, Lama Satelli. Um, so so they, are, they are down to the bare bones in the front row a little bit, but I still think the Saracens are going to have it. They're big match side. Okay, so... What do you think? I think in terms of, as you said best 15 versus best 15 not only do I give a slight edge to Saracens in terms of individual quality but watching the way that they've beaten Leinster obviously a couple of weeks ago in Newcastle and then obviously again Gloucester uh, over the weekend is there's just always seems to be another gear that Saracens can hit and whilst I don't dispute that that's not necessarily the case for Exeter who have shown themselves to be an incredible team as well as you said, James, the fact that it doesn't really matter who's playing for Saracens, that, that same intensity, that same methodology, that same strategy in order to, to eke out wins, no matter whether it, no matter it, whether it's a uh, sort of forwards contest or whether it's a bit more free-flowing, um, I think it's just so hard to, to bet against Saracens. I think the issues that they've got in the front row in terms of injuries is a concern. But then, obviously, Richard Barrington and Vincent Cock were absolutely fantastic against Gloucester uh, over the weekend. So, I think dollars to donuts, it's it'd take a very stupid man to to, to bet against um, uh, another Saracens um, triumph. So, Alex, was there is there anything that you want to add to that beyond just sort of talking glowingly about just how good a setup that Saracens have down in uh, down in North London? What on earth is dollars to donuts? That's what I want to ask. Have you never heard that before? No. Explain that one to me. It just means, like, with with all the cards on the table, you know, in the cold light of day. Okay. I I see you've explained one phrase by using (laughs) two other phrases there. Every day's Um, a learning day. uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, No, for, for me, Saracens have just got that big game killer instinct and Exeter you know are a team that put away teams in the Premiership regularly but I don't think they've ever done it in Europe and you know when it when it comes their Premiership triumph came against Wasps didn't it and I think Exeter just haven't worked out how to beat Saris in big games but Saris have got such a good squad um, you know Alex Good probably well I think European player of the year is he yeah. um, somehow not in the England squad don't ask me how um, you know Throughout the squad, they've just got talent and depth, and they've got big game players who have got that killer instinct. So I can't look past Saris, um, but 
I, I hope it's a it's an exciting final, but I think it may well be a bit of a you know. I, I just think Sarri's got too much for them. And as James says, first 15, that's first 15. Um, it's definitely it's definitely a Sarri's win for me. Um, but, you know, hopefully, at least a close, exciting game, we, we can dream. So, unfortunately, even though Sale won't be in the contest, let's do our final predictions of the season then. Um, so, I've got Saracens 28x to 21. I'll go Saracens 25x to 10. Yeah, I think it'll be Saracens 20. I think it might be a high score in that. So maybe let's go Saracens 32x to 26. I think it'll be high intensity, almost test like test match type game. But it's end of season. If the weather's warm, I think we'll still see some tries, even though it's a final. And we'll pick uh, our predictions for Saracens and Exeter up uh, as part of our season uh, review in a couple of weeks. Uh, so that's it for another episode of the Sharks and Podcast. Uh, I want to say uh, a big thank you to everyone who voted in our poll uh, this week on uh, which signing um, Sale fans are most uh, excited to see. Uh, I think it was very difficult actually to uh, narrow it down in terms of which players to put in given that uh, Twitter unfortunately only gives you four options and we end up having six or seven very exciting players um, that would would have been available. Uh, ultimately Ludiaga won uh, with 54% of the vote, Jean-Luc Dupree 28% and Simon Hammersley 12 uh, with other uh, coming in at 6% with a few people suggesting the other Dupree, um, one person suggesting Cornelius Tazen and one person also suggesting Jake Cooper Woolley which I thought was uh, was quite interesting as well. But yeah, thank you to everyone who engaged with that. Um, obviously we're, we're picking up a season review uh, in a couple of weeks. Our very first live podcast all together so we're very excited about that. Keep an eye out for some additional audience engagement uh, on that podcast uh, over the next couple of weeks in terms of the manner in which we conduct it. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, James and Alex uh, for joining me, even though it's technically the off-season. Um, being able to pull together a, a very quick-fire pod to discuss, obviously, the big news uh, of the week. Uh, so I think that's everything from me. That's everything from me. Thanks again to you both uh, for a, a lovely discussion on, on what is hopefully going to be a very exciting season uh, for sale. And uh, see you in a couple of weeks, boys, for the uh, season review down in St. Albans.